Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us for these family Bible studies in the Gospel of Luke. And today we are in Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 26, and we're going to be talking about family life in times like the days of Noah. Let's start with Luke 17, verse 26. Jesus speaking, As it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. So basically in this verse, something's being contrasted, the days of Noah and the days of the Son of Man. So first let's ask, what are the days of the Son of Man? I'm doing a companion broadcast called Luke 21 Radio, and I go extensively into Jesus's teaching in the Gospels about the end times. And I've labored to show that his teachings on the end times have a dual reference. In 70 AD, when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem, it was the end of uh, life as you might have known it, the temple life in Judaism. It was the generation after uh, Jesus ascended into heaven, and it was a coming in judgment. But that didn't fulfill these things because it, these references also apply to the second coming of Jesus. So for us today, and again, the practical application seems to be what people are wanting from me and from these Bible studies. And honestly, sometimes the practical application is a little harder than the theological understanding and such, but applying it today, well, obviously the references in 70 AD don't apply to us as much as the second coming, which is still future from us. But let's ask ourselves that second question. Remember, Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. So what were the days of Noah like? And in this passage, I can summarize it as simply, life as usual, totally unprepared. Jesus says they ate, they drank, they married, they were given in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and then the flood came and destroyed them all. Now, there's nothing wrong with eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage, but if your course of life has no reference to God, you're just simply life is normal, no thought for God, um, you can be unaware of something huge coming your way. They were unprepared. And then Jesus says in verse 28 of Luke 17, likewise, as it was in the days of Lot. And very often in the Bible, you find these two events coinciding, the great flood with Noah and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah in the days of Lot. So you have in the days of Noah, in the days of Lot, he's contrasting that with the end times. And what, what was it like in the days of Lot? Jesus says, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But 
On the day when Lot went out of Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Now, one thing that all the listeners to Jesus would have understood, and most people today, unless they've been affected by the phony baloney um, theologians who say Sodom and Gomorrah was about a lack of hospitality, uh, no, I'm afraid not. That's, uh, That's some kind of modern invention. Everybody who heard Jesus realized that in the days of Noah, as well as in the days of Lot, the people were characterized by widespread, culturally approved wickedness and perverted forms of sexual immorality. No fear of judgment, no fear of God, and very busy just with life. And You know, it doesn't take a whole lot of imagination to see life today. And one of the things I think every parent could agree with, that life just seems to get busier every year. And this is what was going on in those days. They were busy. They were going about their lives, but they lost the horizon. They lost the reality of God. And also, you have to remember that they were warned about the flood in the days of Noah. Our first pope in his second epistle, Second Peter chapter 2, St. Peter says that Noah was a herald of righteousness. He was a preacher. He was warning people about the sinful consequences are going to have a disastrous end, and he was warning about the flood. And so in addition to being an expert boat builder, Noah was, was warning people. So it wasn't like these people were totally uninformed. Uh, most people today have heard of hell, at least in the United States and Western countries. They have heard that there's a God and there's a punishment of living contrary to his ways. I mean, that's no secret, but we're busy. We've lost the horizon We lost the reality that certain behaviors that are widespread, culturally accepted in a nature, in a nation, excuse me, or a culture, what happens? Judgment can fall. Now, we also realize that Lot was terribly vexed, it says, and again, 2 Peter, about what was going on in Sodom before God reigned fire down upon those communities. So it was divine judgments that were coming, and the people were oblivious to it. That's the point. And they were totally unprepared to meet God. Kind of a contemporary way of describing it. We say today, so-and-so is clueless. These people were clueless of where their societies were headed. They were clueless where their families were headed. They were clueless about the eternal welfare of their own souls. They were just busy. Now, I mentioned sometimes practical applications are difficult, but with this passage, um, I see practical applications just spilling over. So get ready for practical applications for family life out of Jesus's statement saying, as it was in the days of Noah, clueless, unprepared, busy, losing sight of 
that divine judgment falls on sinful behavior without repentance. Okay, first thing I would suggest by way of practical application, and this is one of my favorites of all time, is be prepared. I was a Boy Scout. One of the just best experiences I had as a boy was in the Boy Scouts of America. It's too bad they've taken a turn that uh, I personally no longer recommend them. But in the Boy Scouts, we were told to be prepared. And it wasn't something just a motto taught us. I can remember we were training once an entire fall for winter survival. In other words, going out for an entire weekend into a climate that could easily kill you if you didn't learn the survival skills for that. But learning the skills and then going out in the winter, snow and ice all around you, and having a great weekend was just a dynamic way of teaching you to be prepared. And if you're prepared, you can withstand things. So the idea here is to be prepared to meet God. Sodom and Gomorrah were unprepared. The days of Noah, the people were unprepared. So how do you be prepared? This one's rather simple, but it's not being done by Catholics, and that is always go to confession. If you knew a great flood or a nuclear bomb or an EMP or some kind of earthquake, volcano, or a hurricane, or whatever was coming— if you had the opportunity, wouldn't you go to confession? Wouldn't you want to be prepared by staying in a state of grace? Wouldn't you, even if you had uh, venial sins that could be confessed, wouldn't you want to go to confession? Well, that's how you're prepared. That's simple. Regularly go to confession. Along with being prepared, number two, by way of practical applications for you and your family, is to be aware of our cultural situations. And, you know, we have lived um, now for decades in the United States where killing babies has been legalized. And now certain groups are even celebrating killing babies that maybe are newly born, not just in the womb. I would dare say we can't go to sleep. We need to be aware of our cultural situation that it's serious. And if there is a prophetic voice, we need to hear it. Let me just say something. Prophecy isn't about looking into a crystal ball and knowing the future when nobody else does. That's magic. That's the occult and all that. Yes, there's a future aspect to prophecy, but much more it's a present voice through the fog of our busyness and our immorality and not seeing the reality of our situation. And it's my experience, and I'll just say it, that certain segments of listeners to even Catholic radio or readers of newsletters or speakers at conferences want happy talk, and if a speaker or if a priest in a homily is brave enough to speak something that needs to be said, very often there's criticisms or saying, I don't want to hear that type of thing. I'm going to give you two prophetic voices 
in order to make you aware of our cultural situation which we're living in. And you've probably heard these, or at least one of them, but are you aware? Are you really hearing? Or are you living life in a clueless fashion? Here's the first. It's from Pope Benedict when he was Cardinal Ratzinger from his book in 1970. This is a long time ago. A lot of people are asking today, I mean today, this month, what is going on in the Catholic Church? What is going on in our culture? And this is what he said in 1970, prophetic voice. It seems certain to me that the church is facing very hard times. The real crisis has scarcely begun. We will have to count on terrific upheavals, unquote. See, <laughs> say if you're really concerned with what's going on in 2018, 2019, and about to go into 2020, well, almost a half a century ago, Cardinal Ratzinger told us that there's tough times ahead. He was aware of our cultural situation back then. The seeds were well planted and growing of immorality, of, of forgetfulness of God, of lack of belief in divine judgment, and he knew where that would lead. Here's a second voice, also from the 1970s. This is from John Paul II while he was a cardinal. Quote, we are now standing in the face of the greatest historical confrontation humanity has ever experienced. I do not think that the wide circle of the American society or the wide circle of the Christian community realize this fully. We are now facing the final confrontation between the church and the anti-church, between the gospel and the anti-gospel, between Christ and the Antichrist, unquote. You can put those two quotes together. And by the way, I just thought of this. Send me an email to askthehost at gmail.com, and I'll send you these two quotes. It's uh, keep them someplace because you want to be aware. And right along with being aware and being prepared is that third B, <laughs> be awake. Um, because if you're prepared and if you're aware, you want to be awake. And you know what is designed to awaken us? Every single church year, we have Advent. And what is Advent for? It's not for Black Friday. It's now become Black Month in November. No, Advent is wisely observed every year in order to awaken the church to the realities of the days of the Son of Man that Jesus was talking about, so that we don't become like the people in the days of Noah. We don't become people like people in the days of Lot, but we're awake, we're prepared. And I'm just going to give you a couple of practical ways to wake up. Um, recently, I have been listening to the prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament in the mornings. And I like to listen on my phone. And by the way, I don't personally enjoy any added drama, music, or the Word of God, if you just are open to the Holy Spirit a bit, has earth-shaking reality to it. You don't need to kind of uh, add to it. You can't add to it. 
But Jeremiah is like an earthquake listening to him, the reality of sin. And Jeremiah was prophesying to people who were clueless that judgment was coming upon their nation. He predicted it, and it came, and it all happened right within the book of Jeremiah. Read Jeremiah or listen to Jeremiah. It will wake you up. Here's another one. Um, We have a letter we send out to our donors uh, every month, and for November, we're sending out a special letter with a wake-up call premium. And you can ask for a a trial subscription, get get the letter free and describe it. But in the letter, we're going to be talking about a young German woman by the name of Sophie Scholl. And if you want to learn about her, you can go to Prime Video, and uh, there's a movie called Sophie Scholl, The Final Days. And she, a young woman, bravely stood up to the Nazi regime. She ended up losing her life. But what caused her to awaken is the premium that we're offering in November. So again, just send an email to askthehost at gmail and say, send me a a, a sample copy of your premium letter. Okay, be prepared, be aware, be awake. Number four, and remember, I said you need to be willing to listen to a prophet. And so I'm going to be a prophet for a second. And by that, I'm not talking about I'm giving any dates predicting the future or anything else. I am trying to equip you for reality, for reality in the 21st century. So uh, it may mean I'm saying something that others aren't saying that needs to be said. So stay with me. Number four, be a wise wife and mother so that your family can survive a cultural collapse. I want to read a portion of a letter to the editor from a committed Catholic wife and mother. And she writes, people for whom their Christian faith is a very, very big thing, the biggest thing of anything in their lives, and have been working to defend and pass it on to their children for several decades but I think you underestimate how high the number of the fallen, that is, the number of children who have fallen away despite the noble efforts of mothers like the writer of this letter. This is not counsel to give up, but to emphasize how much more insidious and seductive the West culture is. I sound defeatist, but she feels defeated. Now, I want to take this letter and take you back several years to one of the most important dinners I've had for learning about family life. I had the privilege of having dinner with a friend, Dr. Paul Vitz, in my estimation, one of the most outstanding Catholic psychologists in our generation. And he told me over dinner, very simply, the role of a mother and the role of a father and how the two need to go together to raise healthy Christian children. He said, and compare it to uh, a home, so to speak. In the home, there's all kinds of wiring throughout your house. We'll call that the internal wiring of the house. 
Well, that's the mother's job. Now, obviously, a mother has some external wiring, too, and fathers have internal. But overridingly, the mother has that internal wiring. And he said if someone uh, grows up in a home where it's very defective mothering, he said you'll never hear from that person. They'll be in their bedroom staring at the walls because they just can't really function. This is so critical for, in a child's life to have that solid wiring, internal wiring. And then he said, the father is needed for the external wiring. Now, I want to have a prophetic word to moms listening right now, because this mom wrote in, uh, this defeated Catholic mom, who said her Catholic faith is a very, very big thing. Those are literally her words. And now she's uh, defeated because of the insidiousness of our culture. Well, now the culture is external wiring. It's the outside of the family. The mothering is more for the inside. And a lot of moms can say, well, you know, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. Say like I'm gonna be homeschooling, and my guess is this 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 Catholic mom homeschooled, but she doesn't explicitly say that. I'm gonna homeschool. Well, that's great, but don't homeschool without your husband. He may not be teaching all the academic courses, but remember, along with the internal wiring, you need the external. And how are your children going to respond to the society that has? A lot of degenerate media has an insidious secular culture that the father plays a key role in, in a child's external wiring for that. And so you want to be sure that you include your husband in this. Uh, in the past month, I don't even know what website it was on, I read an article it was a great article written by a very committed Catholic mother on seven or eight steps to lead a son into the priesthood in a great way. And I went through these various steps, and all steps were good except for one thing. There was absolutely no mention of a father. The mom had taken it all upon herself to raise these children. Now, this letter to the editor that I just read from, it kind of mentions towards the end of the letter, well, there's a couple of important factors specific to our situation that may have influenced my kids to defect. And it was her husband, Catholic. Um, she didn't mention exactly how committed he was, but when the kids were getting older, things got bad in their marriage, they separated and now none of the kids are practicing their Catholic faith. Now, you want your husband on board with you. And, um, and again, I want you to succeed. That's why I'm saying this. And I, quite honestly, if something's going to make a difference for what you want, you want your children to have eternal life. You want your children to live a life following Christ. You do not want your children to fall away. So if you do, be willing to hear voices that are, uh, what should I say, voices that are saying things like I'm saying here today, because the outside of the situation is very dependent upon the father's example and role. So if you are a smart wife, 
you want to not only put all your efforts into raising your children, you need to save some of your energies to building up your marriage, to building a warm relationship with your husband, because that is key for your children. And mother's instincts are so strong, they sometimes can go, let's put everything into our children until I'm literally exhausted and overwhelmed and and just kind of let the marriage go. And and then it kind of declines over time and kaboom, that's not good. You know, Lot, who was mentioned by Jesus here, was a highly religious failure. Uh, As a father, he, for the sake of money, moved to Sodom and Gomorrah. It was, a lot of, it was an agricultural economy, a lot of bucks there. But as a result of choosing money, and yet he, was, he didn't like where he was living, but he chose voluntarily to live there. He lost his wife, who turned and turned into a pillar of salt. His future sons-in-laws, when he said, God's going to come and judge for you know, the sodomy taking place in this city, his future sons-in-law thought he was joking, literally. And of course, they saved and were lost. And his daughters, uh, because they didn't have their sons-in-law, committed incest with Lot, and their descendants became the enemies of the people of Israel and led to the whole nation's downfall in years future. So he lost his wife, his future sons-in-law, his daughters, and his country. That's not a pattern. In contrast, there was Abraham, whose name means exalted father. That's his name in Hebrew. So if you want to looking like St. Joseph in the New Testament, Abraham in the Old, if you're looking for fathers, and God says when, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah, God was on his way to go to Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19, but the chapter before, he says, I've chosen Abraham that he can charge his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. That's your whole way of life, not just what you do inside the four walls of your house, what you do in your work, what you do in your sports, what you do with your friends, what you do when you go to college, what you do when you take that car out of the driveway and go out for the weekend. This is a critical role for a father in addition to a mother. And moms, you just don't want to do this yourself. You know, it's called D. IY, right? Do it yourself. And there's a lot of jobs around the house. You can do it yourself, but there are certain jobs you can really create a disaster. Like if you don't know about plumbing, you try to do plumbing, you could have a flood. So bring in your husbands. We need Catholic men's ministries, not just uh, reaching men with children that have already grown up or grandfathers, but we need Catholic men's ministry geared to equip dads to step alongside their mothers and raise children in the 21st century for Jesus Christ. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 259 of Faith and Family. <music>